We're going to continue our series today. Um, we've been in a series called Good Works. And so this is part three. If you're new, I'll kind of bring you up to speed. There's been one kind of anchor verse that we have been theming this, se- this series around. And we're going to, uh, Pastor Christie's going to speak next week, and then I'll wrap it up one more. So we've got two more weeks in this series. But this started out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are God's handiwork. And I want you, again, I've said this every week, I want you to individualize that. For I am God's handiwork, for you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we've been in the book of First and Second John, and we'll do a little bit of that, and we're also going to be um, in the Gospel of John and in the book of Acts. We're jumping around a little bit today. But in the book, in the, in the book of First and Second John, we have been talking about this, um, how the writer, John the Apostle, John the Disciple, he wrote this down, this idea of that we are called to good things, to do good works, and he really described it as this, uh, God is light, we need to walk in the light, we need to follow after God, we need to pursue God, he is light and we need to walk in him and be in the light, we need to become like Jesus. And so, week one of this series, um, Dave, you could just kind of boost this up a little bit, week one in this series, we talked about this, that your life was created for a purpose, to do good works. So even before you were born, before God knit you together, even before the foundation of the earth is what the scripture says, that God had a plan for you to do his good works. God had a purpose for your life. And so if you think you're here by accident or you're just putting in time, then God has something for you to do. And then last week we talked about this. The thing that we need to start with is we pursue him. We pursue righteousness. We pursue holy living. We don't ever get it perfectly, and that's why we lean on the grace of Jesus Christ. But if you want to follow Jesus and be a Christian, then you pursue godliness. You pursue righteousness, and that's what we talked about last week. And today we want to continue on kind of that same idea. And in the, in the book of 1 John, where we left off last week, he continues with this thought that we live for God, we walk with him, we become more like Jesus, And then John, in the book of 1 John, he begins to kind of introduce this other thing. In in addition to pursuing righteousness, in addition to pursuing godliness and walking with God, he said one of the ways that it's going to be evident whether we're becoming more like Christ, in fact, he says the most important way it's going to be evident that we are becoming more godly or more like Christ is how we treat other people. It's how we love other people. And so in uh, 1 John 3, verse 23, all of this kind of, I love reading through this whole thing, these first three chapters of the book of 1 John, right near the end of your New Testament. It kind of culminates with this thought. 1 John 3, 23, and it says this. And this is his command. So he's been talking about all these commands, pursue righteousness, pursue the commands of God. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. He really sums it up there. Believe in Jesus, live for Jesus, and love one another as he commanded us. John is saying the same importance of us obeying God and pursuing God and pursuing righteousness, of the same importance is how we treat other people, how we love other people. John um, says this command to believe in Jesus and to love one another. Now, little Bible inside information here. John, the disciple, John that you read about in the Gospels, he wrote this letter, this epistle, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. 
He also wrote the Gospel of John. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John earlier on in your New Testament. And so when John is saying, and this commandment, remember what Jesus commanded, love one another. It's important to love one another. I'm going to go back to the time when John was taught this by Jesus in the Gospel of John. John would remember as he was writing these words, I remember when I was with Jesus and he introduced this command to love one another. And that's found in the Gospel of John, uh, one of the four Gospels, chapter 13. This is, so earlier on, well, John didn't write the gospel right as this was happening. John would write the gospel, you know, years after Jesus died. But he was remembering that night with Jesus. This was the Last Supper. This was the night that Jesus was arrested, the night before he was crucified. And Jesus was with the, what, the 12 disciples having the Last Supper. And so I want to start reading John 13, verse 34 and 35. And this is where Jesus is. It follows when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, which would have been um, kind of eye-opening for the disciples because if you were getting your feet washed, it would be because it was, you know, people walking around in sandals and dirt, and then they're sitting down for a meal, sitting crisscross applesauce down by a little table to, to have a meal. You were going to want your, your dirty feet away from the table, so there would be foot washing. That was typically something that the servants would do, or whoever was lowest on the totem pole would wash the other people's feet for obvious reasons, right? I don't want to wash anybody's feet. Jesus leads the way in humility by washing the disciples' feet. And then he says this, and he follows that with this in 13, verse 34 of the Gospel of John. He says this, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's a lot of significant things in those verses. First of all, that Jesus starts out by saying a new command. I'm giving you guys a new command. That would have been a record scratch, you know, pull the record needle off the record player moment. A new command. Jesus is talking to his disciples, many of whom were good Jewish uh, believers in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law and the law of Moses and what we have in our Old Testament it was all about the commands of God, the commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but about 600 other rules that God gave. This was their life, the commands of God. They were to be revered and followed and never questioned. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to give you a new one. You didn't just give new commandments, right? This was like set in stone. Ten of them were actually set in stone, right? <laughs> Sometimes a joke comes into your head in the spur of the moment you think, this is going to kill right now, and then sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> we'll try it two more times, and we'll see how it goes. Um, this was, the rules of God were firmly established. You don't question them, and you're certainly not going to add to them, right? And Jesus is all of a sudden saying, I got a new commandment for you. They would have been like, you can't do that. You can't just add a new one. And then he says this, all of those rules in the Old Testament really are summed up in this you got to love other people. you got to love other people. In fact, how people are going to know you're a follower of mine is not how well you keep all the commandments. It's how you love other people. Wow, that's a huge, pivotal moment. How you show that you're a Christian, how you show that you're walking in the light, how you show that you are pursuing God is going to come out in how you treat other people. 
And he's, he's speaking specifically for you disciples, how you love one another. So there really is, Jesus is talking about people, you know, in our modern context, it would be talking about people within the church. But then Jesus is also talking about it's important to pe love people outside the church. P loving one another in the church, not just in the room or in Homestead Church, but in the faith, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, not letting division and hostility come into the Christian faith. That is going to be a way that our light shines in our world filled with division. So anytime there is a church split, anytime there is um, denominations fighting, anytime you hear all the Christians saying, well, I believe this and you're wrong, and it's just infighting, well, that does the gospel of Jesus a disservice. Because he's saying you should be able to be unified in all the ways that the culture is trying to divide people. We should have the unifying factor of a love for Jesus as first and foremost. We can disagree on all sorts of other stuff down the road, but we should be unified primarily in that. And so that is how our light will shine in our world, is how the Christians all get along with each other. Because if you're in the world and you're like, well, look at all the Christians. They're just as angry and mad and yelly as everybody else. Why would I want to be a part of that? So this is how your light will shine. But also how we love people outside the church. Both are important because our light is going to shine as we begin to care for other people, as we begin to show our love for other people. We good so far? So really, I want us to think in this term today. When we're pursuing righteousness, when we're thinking about the good work, what are we as Christians supposed to do? The good works of the Bible. A lot of it is just comes down to we've got to treat other people well. We have to love other people. So I want to look at this today. How can we love others? Now, a couple of them we've mentioned throughout this series, and I'll refer to them briefly, and then the third one I really want to kind of focus on today. But how can we love others? Well, one thing that we don't often think about, the first one is this. We love others by praying for them. We love others by praying for them. We should be leading the way as people of prayer, not just for our own lives, but for the lives of our family, neighbors, co-workers, our community, our city leaders, our federal leaders, we should be leading the way. How we can show that we love others is by lifting them up in prayer. We start with this foundational idea that we believe prayer is impactful and changes things. This is powerful, right? So what better way to show that we love somebody than by praying to God on their behalf? We, um, I talked about our Thursday night prayer meetings that we had. Um, not this past Thursday, but week one of our prayer meeting, Christy was praying, and she, at the end of it, we were all kind of circled up praying in, in a, as a group, and she mentioned this as she was praying. She said some words that kind of just rung in my head, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. She said, we bear the responsibility of prayer. And I was like, man, that is right. Like, we're the Christians, quote unquote, and we are the people of prayer. So we bear a responsibility to lift up other people in prayer. Who else is going to pray for them? We need to be lifting up others in prayer. There's probably a lot of people going through very difficult circumstances in our world that have zero people praying for them. And if we believe that prayer is going to be one of the foundational things that alters those circumstances, that draws hearts to God, that, that, that can really impact a situation, well, of course, if we love people, we should start by praying for them. I was, uh, this past Thursday, um, when everyone was kind of walking around the building, in here we were praying for our Sunday services, and as well as our youth ministry. They meet here on Wednesday nights, and so I was walking around praying for our students, and I kind of just got, I had a moment where I was like, 
it kind of hit me the weight of what we were doing. And it's when I was thinking about what Christy said, the responsibility of praying for the students, not just in our church, but the teenagers in our communities, in our school district. I was, I was kind of having a moment where I thought, I'm, we might have some teenagers. Obviously, being a teenager is tough on any day. And then this part of the world, or this time in history, there's just, I was thinking about it, and I, I was walking right along here, and I was kind of overcome with emotion. I had to sit down at the piano bench over there, kind of head in hands, just thinking, our students uh, are facing so many voices of opposition. Now, we have some students in Homestead Church that come from loving families, so at least they're getting that support. But we've got some students that come to our youth group, never mind all the students that aren't connected to a church that might be a part of home situations that are really difficult. So not only are they not feeling, some of them not feeling a support from their family, some of them are hearing negative voices from their parents that you're worthless, that you're never going to amount to anything. Some of them, and then on top of that is just the voices in our culture that are trying to define a young life. Where is your identity? What you should be pursuing? What life is all about? And they've got all, they're being, you know, bombarded with all of these voices. And I was thinking, I'm like, I'm here praying for the students of our church. The people of prayer might be the only ones kind of standing in the gap saying, no, God, I am lifting them up as a way to kind of, you know, push back all the lies of the enemy that are trying to take these students, these teenagers away from a faith in God. Does that make sense? So there is a responsibility of prayer. I felt it Thursday as we were praying for our teenagers. Um, I think about it when I pray for my own kids, the Kerr kids. I think, well, who better to pray for the Kerr kids than me? Who's going to pray for your kids more than you? We need to do that. Uh, Fellow students, coworkers, neighbors, you are in, I've said this a number of times, the reason that you're in your neighborhood as a follower of Jesus or the reason that you're in your place of work is because God needs a little mini church to be planted right there, and that's you. So you have the responsibility to pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your coworkers, fellow students. This is one way that we need to love others by lifting them up in prayer. Second way is this, by caring for them. We pray for them and we care for them. By caring for them. This, is, this can be something really, really simple. A smile, a kind word, a gift. Uh, um, stopping in and saying, how can I help? Is there something I can do? This is how light shines in a very simple, practical way. Giving to somebody, serving, showing up and saying, I'm here to help. That stands out because that is when we are being like Jesus, who washed the disciples' feet, who laid his life down, who showed care and concern for everybody he was with. This stands out. This is a way that a light will shine. That stands out in any given point in history. But if we think that our world is becoming more dark, more divisive, more angry, more cynical, more hateful. Um, how much more is simple care and concern for people going to stand out? It's like the, it's like the easy, uh, low-hanging fruit, a way that you can just be simply nice to somebody, and that is going to be a way that your light can shine. I've been trying to do this um, when I go into any store because people are, you know, you might not have noticed this, people are generally a little crabby, just by default. And so I, anytime I'm in a store with somebody behind a cash register, I always am intentional about, I'm going to smile, I'm going to be nice, because I imagine they're dealing with crabby people all day. And so I'm just nice. Extra nice. Nicer than my normal <laughs> Old Navy line nice, right? 
But that's going to be a way that stands out, especially these days. If you are a Christian, and there's a lot of them going around saying the world's just falling apart, all this, and government, and the spiritual attacks, and Hollywood, and movies, and popular culture, and all the things that are tearing this country away from Jesus, and there's just so much darkness, your response should be, boy, that's going to be super easy to let my light shine then, right? The darker it is, the easier it's going to be to let my light shine. Care for people. We, before Christmas, leading up to Christmas, if you were here, we did a thing where at the end of the year, we, we want to give 10% of every dollar that comes into Homestead Church away. We believe in the principle of tithing from the Old Testament where you give 10%. And so a lot of people tithe here at the church. They give 10% of their income to, to Homestead Church. Well, we said, well, we want to do the same thing. And at the end of the year, we, that's how we support all our missionaries, um, other ministries and outreaches and money that's going out not money that's going to be spent on stuff inside the church. And so at the end of the year, we said, well, we've got, in order to get our 10%, because you guys gave so well last year, we're like, we still have like $20,000 we got to give away. That was super fun. And some of you added to it, and it got up to closer to $30,000. We got to go and just bless the food shelf. We got to give our missionaries, uh, all of them, a, a nice Christmas gift. We got to bless the single moms in our church with a Christmas gift. We got to, um, you know, impact some of the local uh, community outreaches. We got to help other churches, and it was super fun. And one of the things that happened was, I don't know who it was, they were watching, um, I think the, maybe the school board, or they were at the school board meeting. Those have been rough as well, right? I mean, just any, for our city officials and school board and teachers, it's just been a rough year. And one of the things that they had heard was one of the nurses from one of the schools got up and said, it's just been a really hard year to be a school nurse because they've got to be the ones that are calling crabby parents and saying your kid's sick and you've got to keep them home. And so um, at a staff meeting, somebody said, we should give something nice to the nurses. And so we put together a gift basket for all the school nurses at all of our Farmington schools and, uh, and then gave them a gift card to just go buy something. And so we got a lot of, um, they, we got, got a few phone calls saying, thank you for that. That was so amazing. We got a lot of cards. It was really fun. But we got one email that I wanted to read to you today. This is from one of the school nurses. And this, is, this was her email. It'll be up on the screen. Dear Homestead Community Church, I'm so sorry this email is coming late. It's been hectic, but I am glad I have a chance to sit down and say thank you for the wonderful Christmas gift from your congregation. When the two women, sorry, I can't recall their names, dropped off the gift boxes, they said, we heard the nurses were having a hard year, and we certainly have. It has been so discouraging to work as a school nurse during this time and feel like your entire community is against you. I actually had just put an offer on a house in Farmington, and I had been crying because I felt like I couldn't move to Farmington after working as a school nurse this year. It felt like if I moved into my new house, all the neighbors and community would hate us. But then I got a gift that made me feel so appreciated and it encouraged me to go through with buying the house and moving because I felt like I was wanted here. And I actually used the gift card you gave to help my kids and I get settled over here in our new home. Smiley face. It was such a relief to feel wanted and appreciated. Thank you for reaching out to us during a hard time, and thank you for making me feel welcome in Farmington. Thank you so much for doing what you do and for lifting me up. That was, I mean, we shared that with the staff. I wanted to share that with you because if you gave at any point in the last year to Homestead Church or if you specifically gave to the Generosity Fund, you had a part in that. But I wanted to let you know that because this was a relatively simple thing, but it had such an impact, right? 
because you don't know what someone's going through. And it was the point where they're like, I felt like my community didn't even want me here. And our little gift basket and gift card made a huge difference. That's amazing. So thank you for being a part of this church that just carries that banner of we want to care for people. But here's the deal. More than you giving to the church so that we can do this stuff is you have the opportunity and the responsibility to do this yourself. So rather than the church being kind of the, the central gathering and then the church is going to go out and buy some things, what if, you know, we got like 60 people in the room here, so what if we had 60 little churches going out looking for needs that could be met? And here's what happened. Like when you notice what, how this all happened, it was simply somebody just listening to what was going on and then acting on it. They had heard somebody was having a hard time. Let's do something about it. It's an easy fix. And look at the difference it made for that one family. So for you, I want to encourage you, care for others, but simply just open your ears by listening to what's going on. And then when you hear a need, don't be like a lot of us like to do, and think, well, I, I would, someone should really help them, or someone should do this, or I wish our church would do something. And remember, you're the little church that's planted where you are. Act on it. So I think this week, one thing we could do is we could pray, all of us individually, and say, Lord, help me to to remember when I hear something that, or help me to have my ears open, help me to listen to the needs that are in my community, or ways that I can care for somebody, and then act on it, and if it's something you want to bring other people around, or you want the church to help you with, then do that, but you lead the way with where God has you to care and love for the people, so we pray for them, we care for them, and here's the third one that I want to talk about in the time we have left, the third way, and really a very significant way that we love others is to tell them about Jesus, we tell them about Jesus. This is an important good work. When we're thinking about the good work that God has called us to, it's very clear in Scripture, Jesus commanded his disciples to do this. In Matthew chapter 28, it was the Great Commission. After Jesus was crucified and rose and he was about to ascend into heaven, leaving his disciples to go and take this message everywhere, his command to them was, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples in every nation. Tell them all the things that I've told you. Baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what we have been called to do. When we read a story and Jesus is commanding his disciples, well, we're his disciples too, just a couple of thousand years later. So that's our command too. That's how the church is going to continue. If all the disciples stop doing this, this church isn't going to continue. The next generation isn't going to grow up with a faith in Jesus Christ. We go into all the world and tell people about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for them, loves them, rose again so that their sins are forgiven, so that they can no longer live for themselves but live with new life in Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. That's the gospel message. We need to be caring enough for people to tell them about Jesus. We need to love people enough to tell them about Jesus. It really is the foundational, like, ultimate sign of love and concern for someone when you are going to tell them about Jesus, right? I mean, do, if we believe there's a heaven and a hell, if we believe that eternity is at stake, which we do, I do, I won't speak for you, um, this is what I believe the Bible teaches us, if we believe that's at stake, of course we want to have an urgency to tell people about Jesus, Right? How much is there a lack of care and concern if we don't care enough to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about the hope that's found in Jesus Christ? Amen? All right, a couple of you. Yes, we're doing good. We must do the work of evangelism. 
We must do the work of telling people about the good news of the gospel. We are a part of a denomination, the Assemblies of God. We are a evangelism missions movement. We are about telling people about Jesus here in Farmington and around the world. That's why we support missionaries financially. That's why we send teams. That's why when we send a team to Mexico in a few months, it's not just about going on a trip and helping this family. It's about raising the culture of missions. It's about not just providing a house, but going around and telling people in that community about Jesus and how that could impact generations and impact entire communities where that gospel is now planted here and it begins to spread. So we must do the work of evangelism. We must do the work of missions. We support missionaries. I, I look forward to a day where there is people from Homestead Church being called into the mission field and we as a church get to say, yeah, we're going to fund that. Go to wherever it is and the light is being sent over there. And we think, the, we think the same thing about our schools and our neighborhoods. We must care enough for our neighbors and our coworkers to tell them about Jesus, to love them, to care for them, to meet needs. Here's the... Um, we're going to read one more story, and here's kind of what I want to wrap up here with. In the church world, let's just talk about Homestead Church. We're, we're not here for the insiders. No. You're here. You're inside. We're glad you're here. Um, we love you. We want you to keep coming to church, okay? But what we do on Sunday morning is this is our opportunity to rally together, to lift songs up of worship to God, to celebrate what God is doing in our life. And then we go out from here and be the church. Because we're not just here for this. This is fun. But man, if this church just becomes like, well, we just try to keep the people happy and whoever comes. And if you got a complaint about something the youth group did, just come talk to me and we'll try to make it. You know. <laughs> or if something we can do, let's just make like a country club. Like, well, I wish you would offer this. I wish there would be, you know, if we could do an omelet bar on Sunday mornings, that'd be great too. And <laughs> That might be sweet. Man, this is good stuff today. Um, there are a lot of churches that, that just after a while turn inward where it's just about keeping everybody happy. we got to resist that. Um, we want you to be happy, but you're going to be happiest when you're a part of the work of God, right? So I want to wrap up with a story. I love this story in Acts chapter 10. This is, the, this is the story of Peter. So this is in the book of Acts. This is really the start of the church. So it starts where the gospel ends. Jesus has died, rose, ascended to heaven, and the book of Acts is a great book, all about the start of the Christian church. It starts with the group of disciples all hiding and fearing for their lives, being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out and changing the world. It's an awesome book of the Bible. Acts chapter 10 is a great story of Peter, the disciple Peter. He has a vision from God. And there's one night Actually, it starts the, earlier on. Well, the start of the chapter is a story of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who is, um, he has kind of an idea that God is out there, so he is a, a, a believer in God, and God sees that and sees that Cornelius' heart is stirred to faith. And so God speaks to Cornelius, who is a Roman soldier, and tells him to send for Peter, the disciple. And so this is what happens uh, the next day, verse 9 of Acts chapter 10. I love this story. At noon about the following day, so this is the day after Cornelius heard from God to go send for Peter, but Peter didn't know this yet. At noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
So whether it was like a dream or a vision, it was like this altered state. He fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, surely not, Lord. Or Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Okay, so kind of a weird vision, dream moment. But here's what you got to know. Peter is a Jew. He grew up in the traditions of the Old Testament. And one of the rules that you followed was dietary rules. These animals are unclean. Don't have anything to do with those. These things don't, have, don't even touch those. Here's the food you're allowed to eat. Stay away from all this stuff. And it was a significant rule. So Peter is just doing what he grew up believing. He grew up following these traditions, these religious rules. And so in the moment, he sees this blanket of weird animals being lowered down and God telling him, kill them and eat them. And he said, what's funny to me is that he argues with God in that moment. God's providing food. And he says, no, God, I can't eat those because it's against my religion. I like, in my cartoon bubble, I like God thinking, what religion? What rules? Well, the ones you gave us, I guess. Um, That's why I can't do what you're asking me to do. So he's arguing with God, I can't do this because it's against my rules. Right there is an indication of how we can put our religious rules above what God is trying to do. In our context, it's how we can put our religion ahead of people. Because we are like, well, I can't have anything to do with them. They're unclean. They're impure. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. In the name of religion, it's, a, it's possible for us to find ourselves resisting the work of God. It's, impossible, it's possible for us to find ourselves arguing with God. God, I can't do that because that's not appropriate. That's impure. That's clean. And God's saying, go and minister to those people. And I love that he says, don't call something unclean or impure that I have made clean. Don't look at someone, the translation for today is don't look at somebody that you would say, well, they're unclean. They can't be, you know, part of our church. When God has said, I died for them. Don't ever disqualify someone from hearing what God wants to do in their heart. So the story goes on. And as soon as Peter comes out of his trance, vision, whatever, Cornelius' guys are at the door, and God tells Peter, I've sent these men for you. So these men came from Cornelius' house to talk to you. Now, Cornelius is a Roman soldier. I forgot I was going to mention this earlier. This is a time where the Israelites, the Jewish people, they have been conquered by Rome. They are subject to the Roman Empire. And so Rome, as a way to keep all the Jews in Judea kind of behaving themselves, have all their representatives and all the soldiers there keeping the peace, taking their money, mistreating them. The Israelites, the Jewish people, are essentially slaves at the expense of the Roman Empire. So Cornelius, a Roman soldier in Jerusalem, is not going to be anybody's favorite person, okay? All the Jews are going to hate him because he's the hated Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, Cornelius' guys are at Peter's door, and this is what happened. Peter, they say, uh, God tells Peter, I've sent these men for you. Go with them. And so Peter ends up going with these guys to Cornelius' house. So again, there's unclean food that Peter is opposed to. And then there's associating with a Roman soldier in their house. This would have been breaking like six different rules from the Old Testament. 
maybe even more, because it was don't associate with Gentiles, certainly don't go into their house, don't have anything to do with them. And it was not just a Gentile, but a hated Roman citizen, Roman soldier. And this is what happens at the culmination of this story in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. He said to them, Peter said to them, as he shows up in the house, this isn't the best, like, introducing yourself to a party moment, but this is what Peter does. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. Don't start out, if you get invited to someone's house, don't start out with that. But God has shown me, again, he's referring to that vision of the sheet with all the animals, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So that moment was eye-opening for Peter. That vision, it was, don't call somebody unclean. Don't think that they're outsiders. Don't think that it's all about you. But this is about all people, even them. I imagine there was a moment, well, it goes on to say, because what happens is, he hears what's going on. Peter basically says, okay, I'm here. What's going on? And they begin to talk about, well, we've heard about God, and we've heard about this. Peter shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can read this whole story in Acts chapter 10. An awesome story. And again, all the inner workings are the Jewish people believing up to this point that Jesus' message was just for them, was just for the insiders. And this is the pivotal moment where God is saying, nah, it's not just for you, it's for everybody. When I said go into all the world, I meant go into all the world. And so this is this moment where Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius and his family. And it goes on to say that the Holy Spirit fell and everyone who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that the the Jewish people that were with Peter, so Peter's associates, they were just kind of along for the ride watching this. They see all of this happening, and it says these guys are blown away. And it says they were amazed because salvation had come even to this house. I love that. Because I love anything that's like, I, I love imagining these guys like, whoa, the gospel of Jesus was even for them? Even them? I... I look forward to days, and we've had this happen. I mean, there's people who are part of our church now that were once upon a time the even them people that people were praying for, and we were like, "Ah, I don't know, they seem pretty far gone, and all of a sudden they get saved, where I just recognize now, and if you have a loved one or someone you're praying for, and you're like, man, they are so far away, I want you to have this story resonate because I want them to be an even them, like God saved even them, and we're going to see them show up in church and give their life to Christ and have their family change. There are, I mean, I'm looking around the room here, and I, I know you have stories and family members, and some of you individually are the even them people. So now I, I love saying when I meet somebody, I met someone who was a, a or I talked to someone who was a parent of one of the teenagers coming to the youth group, and they were very, you know, they were kind of harsh about the church, and I, you know, hearing things, and my first response was, oh, it's going to be fun when they get saved, right? I just thought that it's going to be great when they get saved, because I just think, yeah, God's going to do the work. We're not here for the insiders. We're here for the outsiders, the people, the, the even them. We have to share our faith. This is the uh, end game for Christians. This is why we're here. This is what we are moving towards as individual followers of Jesus, to do this, to become disciple makers. This story in Acts 10 is the first time that the gospel was shared with somebody outside of the Jewish faith. That, that's, you know, that moment is, oh, this now is spread to other people, the outsiders, and that's why we're here today is because it kept spreading. I already mentioned this, that uh, the tendency is for churches to turn inward 
There's another dynamic in churches everywhere. Every church I've ever been a part of has this, where you've got the people who have been Christians a long time. They're not really exercising their faith. They're just coming, coming to church and waiting for somebody to, you know, tell them, engage them or make it interesting or meaningful. And so a lot of times the, the wording they use is, well, we just need deeper. We just got to go deeper. You know, Pastor, I just, we just got to, I understand you're talking to the, to the seekers, but we just got to go deeper. And I'm always like, what, what does that mean? deeper like you want me to use the greek and the hebrew we can do that or essentially they're like well i've heard all this before i need something that i haven't heard before now learning more about the bible going deeper in bible studies great okay so you're like was that me no it wasn't nobody in the room here okay um but they they feel like they just need more for themselves in other words they they've consumed all the easy bible stuff now they need more difficult stuff and like well i need you to kind of what have you got for me here and what's this and there's a there's a, a culture in churches everywhere that have people that do that well here's what i'm saying today and this is what i tell people this what we're talking about today is the deeper stuff this is the deeper stuff is you owning your faith and now discipling other people you want to know what's going to have the word of God come alive in your life? You want to know that's going to, what's going to kind of cause you to pray more than you've ever prayed before is when you are sharing your faith with your coworker. You're going to be like, oh, man, I better have something to say. You know, I better be praying for that. That is the deeper stuff when we go from consuming to disciple making, right? Amen? This is the deeper stuff. Moving away from what I get out of this to now, how can I lead others? Now, you might be saved for 10 minutes or for 60 years. It all applies to you. We want to grow. We want to study the word. We want to learn. Those are all good things. But wherever you're at, you can tell somebody about Jesus. You can pray for somebody. This is shifting that mentality about what am I getting to? How am I leading others? How am I participating in the Great Commission? This is doing the good work of making disciples. It's the good work telling others about Jesus. My last few weeks here have been so enjoyable for this very reason. I've just seen this over and over in our church. I've just seen this. I had a meeting with a guy, you know, recently who had never owned a Bible. And I got to say, well, you know, here's a good Bible that you could start with. And then he's like, well, where do I start? I'm like, well, start here and read this. And then he showed up to our men's breakfast, and then we have another leader in our church that is discipling people, and he met with them, and they were meeting, and he was telling him about this, and they had a ton in common with their story, and this this guy's learning brand new, and there's another guy in the church who understands this that's about making disciples, and then you have other people at the men's breakfast or men's night that have shifted away from this, well, what's in it for me, to I'm going to lead this table, and I'm going to help disciple other people. We've got a, a family in our church when they first started attending, they were like, well, we, you know, what have you got for this? And what, what kind of small groups? And, and I think reluctantly, he started being a youth leader. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of caused his faith to come alive. Because now he's not just like, well, what's in it for me? He now is discipling these junior high boys. And he was to the point where he's like, man, my schedule's full, but I don't want to give up Wednesday nights at youth group. Like, this is what this is his faith going deeper because he is switching into disciple making. He's switching into raising people up in the gospel. When we were here Thursday night praying, there was a few teenagers here. And, and this family was outside in the hall praying for the teenagers, just kneeling down praying for them. I'm like, this is, this is the church at work. I love this. I love this. I, you know what? The gospel, that's how the gospel's moving forward when all of us take on this good work of the gospel and go and evangelize and raise up disciples. Amen? This is how it happens. 
you know, the gospel doesn't move forward if all we're doing is filling arenas with people who are just listening and nodding and saying, well, that was good. I wish, you know, the speaker could have been better. I didn't mean worship was a little loud, and I hope they have an omelet bar next week and stuff like that. But no, the gospel is going to move forward when all of us see ourselves as the church moving out, doing the good work of the kingdom of God. So here's, I've talked too long today. So here's four questions I'm going to put up there. And this, I think we should all have these questions, okay? I think I have them in the slides. Who are you praying for? Who are you caring for? Who are you discipling? And who are you bringing to Jesus? I think if you're a Christian, you should have a name in all of those boxes, I didn't put boxes. I should have put a box or a line. There should be a name for each of those questions for you. Or some of them might double up. But all of us, as ministers of the gospel, who are you praying for? Who are you caring for? Who are you discipling? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Could be members of your family. Could be your kids. Could be coworkers. Whoever it is. Students at the school. So I want us, as we pray today, as we close to just be thinking about how we can kind of activate our faith to do the work of evangelism. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that for each of us individually that you would begin to, those four questions there, that you'd begin to drop names in our heart. Maybe there's already people that were doing that and help us to, uh, to do the work of the gospel effectively. And, and Lord, we pray for those people that we're discipling and caring for, that you would draw them in. We know that you're the only one who can draw them in and save them. Um, but Lord, if there's people that we don't, if there's, there's questions here that we don't have a person for, Lord, I pray that you would begin to drop names in every heart, in every person that's listening to this message right now. Who can we pray for? Where is there a need that we can care for? Who am I discipling? Who am I teaching about Jesus? And who am I telling about Jesus? Who am I bringing to Jesus? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we are a part of something big and impactful. Help us to always have our eyes open to the world, to the outsiders, how we can participate in this great commission. We can see a great harvest of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, becoming discipled, and then becoming disciple makers themselves. This is what we want to be a part of. So we thank you for that opportunity. I pray that you would bless this church. For those who have needs, for those who are weary today, I just pray that you would strengthen them, encourage them. For those who are brand new to the faith today, I pray that you would continue to encourage them and bring people alongside to guide them. Lord, we want to build your church for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church. If you would like someone to pray for you, they're going to have some prayer team members up front. Otherwise, God bless you. We will see you next week.